Welcome to Superintendent Radio Network. I'm Guy Cipriano. We're on site at Old Chatham Golf Club in Durham, North Carolina. Of course, it opened in 2001. That's just a fabulous property here in the Research Triangle. And we've been visiting with uh, Superintendent Brian Powell, and we're going to be talking about his, his experiences maintaining and handling ultra-dwarf Bermuda grass greens. Uh, first off, Brian, thanks for hosting us today, and what a wonderful uh, club you have. Pleasure to be doing this, Scott. Thank you very much. This course opened in 2001. Brian was here before they even hit the first tee shot. Just kind of explain the evolution of Old Chatham and the evolution of the, of the greens at Old Chatham. Well, Old Chatham started from a, a small select group of uh, gentlemen that were interested in having a golf-only club in this part of the state. And most of them had lived in other parts of the country where they had had that type of club. There's some great country clubs in the area, but they wanted to have a golf-only club that was focused just on golf. So they got together, they found a piece of land, and uh, were able to buy this. It's a 400-acre property with only one 18-hole golf course in it. So it's got a giant buffer around it of, of trees and forest, and it gives you a very relaxed type of feel to be out here. So you really feel like you're going through a walk in the woods when you're out here playing golf. So the, the putting surfaces at Old Chatham, from what everyone has told me today, from what I've read, and what from what we discussed before we started recording this, Brian, aren't what they were in 2001. Just explain the evolution of them and how you went from bent grass to ultra dwarf Bermuda grass. Well, it's, that's a great question. We uh, uh, we started with uh, bent grass, and we had one of the more modern bent grasses. We had A1 was a variety that we had, and we had good bent grass greens. Time around 2007. Um, I got a, or 2006, I got a phone call from our club president. He commented to me, he said, you know, I've just played a golf course today and had a, one of the best putting experiences of my life. And uh, they've got this, these ultra dwarf Bermuda grass greens. Is it possible that you think we could one day have those at Old Chatham? And the guy that was making the phone call uh, actually went on to be president of the USGA. It was Jim Heiler. And Jim knows golf and he knows good golf. And that really got my attention when he made that comment. I responded to Jim that I didn't think we would be able to because I thought ultra dwarf Bermudas probably would perish in the winters here. Uh, but what we did do and what I told Jim was I would start following them more intently than I have in the past to try to learn more about them to see if they would one day be able to be adapted for Old Chatham. And what our research found was that when you use covers in cooler climates like we have up here, they were actually extremely survivable and weren't having problems making it through the winters. Uh, and then we started to see uh, more and more comments and more and more examples of excellent putting greens that were ultra-dwarf Bermudas. Uh, so we started looking into them more intently to consider using them for uh, what might be uh, a replacement, say, at 20 years of age for our bent grass greens, which isn't too untypical for most golf clubs that are after high quality, which is changing them out at, say, 20 years or so. So we really thought it was a 20-year type of uh, perspective, but it ended up being more quickly than that for us. And you made the transition in 2012, from what I understand. How, how have the greens changed and evolved in, in this type of climate and microclimate in the last five years? Well, we did do that. We, did, we changed yeah. in 2012. What we have found is the greens have matured wonderfully. And we also found that they are very, very stable in what we get from them. Uh, I know you and I were talking uh, off radio a little bit while, a little while ago about the wonderful uniformity that you get from firmness or the, or the playing characteristic of firmness on greens uh, when you use ultra dwarfs. And 
as these screens have aged over the last uh, four or so, five years since we installed them, they have remained very, very uniform in their firmness all year, with the exception of the brief period of time that we aerate. So we've been delighted to see that. With the different changes of, of uh, weather that we have here in the transition zone, uh, whether it be tropical storms that have come through, rain events, uh, cool events, or, or cold winters, they've actually been very stable also as far as the, uh, their ability to maintain good turf quality. Now that doesn't mean they're perfect all year long, because they aren't, and no grass is here in the transition zone. But we've had more excellent putting condition days here than we had prior uh, to the conversion in 2012. What's the day-to-day -day maintenance like? What are some of the things you have to do to get them to perform at the level you need them to perform at? That's another uh, good question because it's, it's not necessarily intuitive if you haven't done a lot of research into the ultra dwarfs. We feel like we spend more labor every day on the ultra dwarfs working on putting quality compared to when we had bent grass. We do feel like it's probably a one-for-one -one swap on, uh, for survivability. When we used to be working to make sure the bent grass was survivable and did well through the summer, we're now out uh, questioning ourselves saying, hey, we mowed the greens twice, what if we mowed them a third time? Or what if we rolled them one more time? Or what if we did a, a very, very light vertical mowing? So it's this is very, very putting quality oriented versus turf health orientation. So day-to-day, uh, -day, we actually do a little more on the greens than we used to when we had bent, but it's all for putting quality versus survivability. Yeah, I've had other superintendents tell me that you have to finesse them more. Is, is that what you found throughout the, the last few years? Absolutely. In yeah. fact, one of the things that you, that you, you see when you have an ultra dwarf is um, ultra dwarfs are kind of like turning a big boat. You know, once you turn the steering wheel, it takes a while for the boat to actually start to move. What we do here is we do little things, and we do a lot of little things to try to turn the boat. So if we think the greens are putting a little bit differently than we would like, we start increasing the number of inputs. Uh, it may take a while for us to see the results of the inputs, so we find it's best to do that frequently with small amounts versus a lot of, amount, a lot of inputs infrequently. It's been hot in the Carolinas this year, and it's been wet, and it's been hot then it's been wet. When you have cycles like that, what are some concerns with the ultra dwarf Bermuda grass greens? What are some maybe diseases and pests you have to be on the guard for when you have unpredictable conditions like that? Well, specifically, the ultra dwarfs like all Bermudas don't do well in shade. Whether that be from a tree or from cloudy weather, they tend to, to not grow as vibrantly when they are under shade. The other thing they try to do is they try to reach for the sun, if you will. So the internode length increases, the stem gets longer, and they try to become grainy and they try to get a little bit more furry. So, you know, when we're running through these wet periods, a time that you really don't want to go out and scalp your greens because they, they, they might be a, um, a little bit more prone to scalping when they're wet, you have this plant that's trying to get longer at the same time. So it's actually doing exactly what you don't want it to do at that time. Um, the other thing that the ultra dwarfs do when they get that type of weather and that we saw here this year is uh, they tend to kind of shut down on you. So not only do they try to get longer, but their overall growth rate decreases. So they respond more slowly to inputs. Um, so sometimes it's a little frustrating if you know that, you know, today there are nine on a scale of one to 10, but 
if it was sunny, I think they would be a 10 because we could do this and they would respond this certain way. Uh, you just don't see that when it's very overcast. And, and with some uh, of our other terps that we dealt with in the past, you didn't see that quite so much when it was uh, overcast. There are obviously superintendents in various parts of the country that are, are going through the transition now that you went through five years ago. How do you educate to the golfer that the ultra dwarf Bermuda grass will perform at, at levels similar to the bent grass during peak seasons? That's another uh, excellent question, Guy. And we found that, found this with our membership, we found this with other memberships that, that we've tried to help. Um, everyone knows a golf course where they thought the greens didn't putt well. And unfortunately, when you tell them that we're contemplating a conversion to an ultra dwarf, everyone pulls that golf course out and says, oh, but they're going to putt like that. And uh, what we discussed of our membership was, well, you would make the analogy that the local golf course down the road, because it has bent grass, should putt like Augusta National. Instead, you would, you would say, well, that doesn't make any sense, Brian, because they don't have that staff, they don't, may not have, they don't have the inputs, um, they, they can't achieve that. And yet, people have done that at times with the ultra dwarfs. They've said, oh gosh, it's going to be a bad putting experience because I played this one golf course and it wasn't the putting experience that I was after. Well, the ultra dwarfs are just like, the, like bent grass in that um, you get what you put into them out of them. So it's more important what your golf course superintendent uh, puts into them as far as effort, as far as uh, doing his background research prior to the conversion, than it is simply looking at that one bad apple and assuming that every apple in the bunch is going to be like this. The reality is there are some phenomenal, phenomenal ultra dwarf greens out there. And because they are out there, there are best management practices that are established that you too can adapt. So the advice that we give them is make sure you communicate your membership. Your membership understands we can have excellent greens that can be ultra dwarf Bermuda grass greens, but not all ultra dwarf greens are excellent putting greens. For our listeners that don't know, Brian is the past president of the Carolinas GCSA. With that camaraderie in mind, how important was it for you when you were establishing your new greens to have conversations with, that, with other superintendents that have done, done it before? What's the information share like, like with some of these newer greens in your region? Well, it's key. In fact, I think I would go so far as to say that if you are someone that aspires to have success with an ultra dwarf conversion, you have to communicate and you have to communicate aggressively to those that have done it and ask them, what would you do different? What did you think was a key part of your success? I have to give great credit to Roddy Lingle. That was the golf course superintendent at Memphis Country Club. Uh, and, and a lot of other people do. And the reason is because Rodney is probably the single uh, best source for so many of these successful conversions that has existed in the golf industry. He's made himself available. He's taken time to talk to people on the telephone. He's done site visits to try to help people. And Rodney developed some phenomenal best management practices that are repeatable at other clubs. Well, now there are other people that are doing things similar to the way Rodney pioneered and has and innovated. And there are other people you can talk to. If he's not in your area, so to speak, um, well, there are other people now that, that, that can help you with it. But you can't expect uh, for the information to just fall out of the sky and hit you on the head one day. You need to do your work first. You need to call people. You need to say, what, did, what would you do, do, do different? 
what what's the reason that you feel like you were successful doing this project and superintendents to do that guy seem to always have success to me well brian thanks for having us it was a wonderful day at old chatham and also thank you for everything that you've given to the industry or second generation superintendent obviously you put a lot of time into all this and thanks for everything thank you guy and thanks to pat jones fantastic magazine You've been listening to the Superintendent Radio Network, the podcast of Golf Course Industry Magazine, a production of GIE Media. I've been your host, Guy Cipriano. You can find all of our podcasts on iTunes or the SRN page of golfcourseindustry.com. Talk to us at srn at gie.net or at GCI Magazine on Twitter. Thanks for listening.